really glad to be here and share this time with you all. I told the elders several months back that my idea for the renewal conference, and I was I asked them if it would be okay if I could stand before you and talk about the truth, goodness, and beauty of the music of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> uh, the irony, I suppose, is probably it is mercy to you that I won't be speaking about that. But uh, we will begin with talking about how many times the word mercy is used in the lyrics of Bruce Springsteen. No, just kidding. That he actually rhymes the word mercy with Jersey. Amazing poet. I commend them to you. Seriously, though, when I began thinking of uh, the concept of mercy, I really immediately thought of a friend of mine, a guy named Cannon Allen. He lives in Memphis. This is a guy who is, you know, a mover and a shaker type, you know, powerful lawyer, one of the biggest law firms in the southeast. This guy was Princeton educated, went to University of Virginia Law School. In Memphis, you know, he had the equivalent pedigree of, you know, a um, Salzburger here in Effingham County. You know, he was a Memphian. You know, went to the right schools, the right church. And one time, I, I, when I met him, I immediately could see this, and I was intimidated. But he, later on as I got to know him, decided to um, interview for the board at the school in which I worked. One of the board members before this interview came to me and said he was really looking forward to hearing about this interview. He'd known Cannon for many, many years. In fact, my, this board member named Rick, he had actually been a youth counselor at Cannon's church when Cannon was in high school. And so he knew Cannon as this intellectual sparring partner, this theological skeptic in the youth group, and constantly taking the other side of an issue. And just a a burr under the saddle of all the youth counselors. So Rick, knowing the canon had gone to Princeton, which is not a very conservative theological place, was really wondering how in the world canon had become this godly husband, this godly father, and with a desire to put hours and hours and hours of service and money as a board member at the school. So we got, got to the meeting where we were interviewing Cannon. And he, after the pleasantries were exchanged, Rick immediately started the question. He said, Cannon, we, we've known each other for a long time. I knew you when you were in youth group. What happened? And here's this powerful attorney never in a want for words, 
sitting there thinking about what to say. And I can remember it. Just him sitting there, you could have heard a pin drop. And Cannon, you could see, was visibly moved in giving the answer. He started to talk, and his voice started to crack, kind of clear his throat. And he said, really? In college? It was God's mercy. I'm amazed at the extent of God's mercy. And everybody was like, amen. (laughs) The meeting continued. Got to learn a little bit more about what God had done through his mercy in the life of this man. And that's tonight where we are, is really looking at God's mercy in the Beatitudes. Let's pray and ask him to be with us and guide us through the scripture tonight. Lord, we are so grateful to have your word and its testimony of your mercy, your mercy through the ages, your mercy in Christ, in whose name I stand, in whose name we gather, and in whose name we proclaim words of mercy. Father, I pray that you'd be with us to make things clear. Father, I pray that you would make your word clear, that all of us would become less, and that your word of mercy and life in Christ Jesus would become more in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at... Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't already. When I say that word Bible now, after being in Rankin for three years, I can say it a little bit differently as I just heard sung Amazing Grace, Bible, it's just great, sweet, sweetness. Blessed, verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you remember, Pastor Russ gave us a great starting place to be thinking about as we get into this, and Steve just prayed. We're looking at this message, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes in particular, as the inauguration speech of a new king, King Jesus, and the the proclamation of his kingdom. You can see this begins just a little bit further, a little bit prior to this, in chapter chapter 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is beginning the kingdom. Immediately, in the verses there that follow, Jesus calls his disciples and he begins healing every affliction among the people. See that in verse 23 and beyond. With this new kingdom being inaugurated, Jesus then, Russ reminded us, shares the qualities of the citizenry of this new kingdom in these Beatitudes. Tonight, when we look at this Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, we can kind of look at a few of the varieties of the way mercy is used in the New Testament. And it's used in a variety of ways. But specifically, I think three have a bearing 
on what we're looking at tonight as far as mercy. The first one, the first quality of mercy, there's really no English word to describe the way the Greeks are using the word mercy here. It's just it's this fully orbed word. And the context determines its meaning. So one of the ways in which you can look at this is salvific mercy, the mercy of salvation. You might want to think of the synonym of grace. This gift. Look at Romans 9 with me. Here you can see the sense I'm talking about. Romans 9, verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. This is not the exact way that mercy is being used in Matthew 5-7, but it adds to the meaning. It's, It's this giving mercy from God to someone. The second half of this verse where we have for you shall receive mercy. There's obviously someone giving mercy. Okay? That's the passive voice in the Scripture. It's not said who, but it, it is this passive voice that says, it is God deliberately giving mercy. What is God's giving mercy like? It's like His mercy and grace upon those whom He has saved. This beatitude is spoken by God. God the Son. The Son who says, I and the Father are one. Thus, the inauguration speech we're listening to here this week is given by a king whose character from the very beginning of time in the creation of man is mercy. He was merciful to Adam and Eve, giving them the skins. He was merciful again to them and giving them another son after one's murdered. Merciful to the world and mankind in giving Noah an ark. Merciful to another group of people in another inauguration speech in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God of mercy. This is really, I think, the sense in which my friend Cannon was talking about. I can't get past how merciful God was in His salvation through Christ. This colors the way we look at the mercy in this verse. This is the God that's speaking the mercy in this beatitude. It's a mercy of assurance. The second type of mercy is a man-to-man type mercy, where sort of where you get some of the charitable giving type mercy, where the synonym 
rather than grace is more like kindness, goodness, service. The mercy ministries abound in churches. The Mana House, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Soup Kitchen. This is the kind of mercy that we see in the Old Testament where the Old Testament people were, they lived in a culture of mercy. God informed the whole culture about how they were to behave. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17, it says, A man who is kind benefits himself. This is the type of kindness and mercy that extends to a community and actually kind of comes back to you. You know, the more merciful people are in a community, the better the community comes, the better your life becomes in the community. This is like the everyday type of mercy to a neighbor. Paul explains this, I think, a little bit in Romans chapter 12 when he talks about mercy. If you'll turn with me there, verse 9. In this passage, chapter 12, 9 through 21, there's a whole bunch of things that are, that are commanded for the Roman people to, to be thinking about and doing. You can just skim the passages. You know, let your love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, serve the Lord. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. This is the type of mer- this is a kind of mercy that's talked about, and it colors again the meaning of "blessed are the merciful." An everyday community type of mercy. Don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. At the end, it says, "Feed the hungry. Give him something to drink who's thirsty, for by doing so you'll heap." burning coals on their heads. You know, when I was growing up, my dad would say, just kill them with kindness. Uh, Just trying to add a little Jersey accent there for you. Just kill them with kindness. You know, and and that was more like, you know, heaping coals on their head out of spite. You know, somebody's going to be mean to you, just be syrupy sweet bag. This is not the type of mercy we're talking about. This is the mercy that is colored by what God has shown us by this other character of grace where we want to contribute to the needs of others. I had a friend also in Memphis, very different pedigree than my friend Cannon. Whereas Cannon was, you know, the uh, upper crust elite, uh, my friend James was from Buzzards Roost, Arkansas. Uh, cotton and soy field farming dad, hundreds and hundreds of acres. The street he lived on was named after his family. We know what that's like. We know what that's like. Well, when James moved to the city, you know, he was a recovering redneck. When he moved to the city, he bought a house in a subdivision. Just hate to see that happen to a country boy. And he... He got a house in a cul-de-sac. I mean, it gets even worse. He bought a house in a cul-de-sac. And they, they of course, in Memphis call them coves. That's a, you have a house in a cove? Okay. 
So James lived at the end of this cove, and it was a very small cove, about five families. And, you know, it was part of town all kinds of people lived in. He had all different races in that cove. Two of the families in that cove were led by single mom. And uh, at, the longer he lived there, he started noticing this one family, this Vietnamese family. Their yard would rarely ever get mowed. And you know subdivisions. Basses, you know this now. You remember it all together again now more fresh. you got to keep the grass mowed. And so this family, they would get, they'd pay to get it mowed after you know, they couldn't see their children playing out there. And so James started noticing that they never mowed. So whenever he mowed his own yard, he would go mow the home of this single mom. And then he started mowing the yard of this other single mom. And then pretty soon, if you you go to, since he was my best friend, his birthday is the day after my birthday, or two days after, you'd go to his birthday party, and these people would be in his home. You know, this was the loving kindness, the thoughtfulness of a Christian brother who knew the mercy he'd been shown by God and was lovingly taking notice of his neighbors. And, of course, thankfully it came back to him with lots of great Vietnamese cooking and things like that. And, you know, he never did it for that. He did it because he loved people with a love that wasn't his own. It didn't come from him. It came from Christ in his life. These are the practical mercies that are part of Christ's kingdom. These are the practical mercies of the citizens of this kingdom. The mercy that is most closely resembles this mercy that we can get to and nail it down in this passage, whereas we have grace, we have kindness, the, the most closely associated mercy here would be, would be a synonym. It's hard to even put it in words. This verb, eleo in Greek, it's this steadfast, persevering love in action. How do you like that synonym? Steadfast, persevering love in action. Okay? That's what we're looking at in verse 5. It's a supernatural love, of course as we have from grace. It's a practical love and kindness, but it's also this steady, patient, persevering love. It's the love, I was thinking of it, calling it the fatherly love. God the fatherly love. You know, we, we would love if we were all dads like that. You know, But thinking of God's fatherly love. The way that we can see this probably best is looking at the parallel passage of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Luke. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. And we're looking at verse 20. This is where the Beatitudes start in Luke. And Luke has this Sermon on the Mount arranged a little differently. I want you to see what is missing 
when we look at this. See if you can see what's missing. Here we go. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. There's that bookend we got. We were told about the kingdom at the front end. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. The sermon changes a little bit here. Woe to those of you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What's missing? Mercy, right? Well, skim down to verse 36. And those of you students in the audience, you'll see, and your parents will remember, that this verse is the concluding sentence of a paragraph. And if your Bible has the uninspired headings like mine does, Verse 36 comes at the end of two full paragraphs. So these two full paragraphs in, are summarized by the last sentence. And what's the last sentence? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So we have to read those two paragraphs to find out what this summary sentence is all about. What is the Father's mercy like? Let's look at them. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. As an aside, I heard a preacher give a story about where he was walking home on the, uh, in the town near the Navy base, and he'd just gotten a brand spanking new fresh haircut, looking all awesome, and walking through town with his brand new leather coat that he had back in the 60s when the first time leather coats were in style. And um, this ruffian comes out and, and holds him up and says, give me all your money. Well, this son of a preacher... Some of a Presbyterian preacher says to himself, Give to everyone who begs from you well, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand. Okay? I'm supposed to give him my money. So he gives him his money. He says, You can have it. And then the guy looks at him and goes, I like that coat. Give me that coat. You're not having my coat. <laughs> so he got beat up. Lost his money and his coat. Just forgot that other verse right there about the tunic. Verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For 
Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to give back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Oh, is He kind. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Look at the mercy of this beatitude. It's got two paragraphs worth of meaning. It is love to enemy. It is love to when you don't want to show it. You know, I mean, how often do we have that kind of feeling? Unfortunately, in our families, we don't want to show it at times, and we get all out of sorts and show it to the people closest to us, right? The bad side of this rather than even to those who would want our good. This is the mercy that we are looking at in Matthew 5, verse 7. This is the Father's mercy. When I was thinking about this mercy, and Richard, I'm glad you're still with me. Way to go. When I was thinking about this mercy, I was thinking also about the fatherly mercy that's mentioned in the book of Hosea. If you've ever studied that, you kind of already maybe think about where I'm going, but just a quick summary is that this fatherly persevering mercy is is what Hosea is all about. God tells Hosea, marry a prostitute. God gives them children. Maybe they're His. And God tells them, name them. Here's the first three names that God tells Hosea to name His children. The first one named Jezreel. Jezreel is going to be the last king of Israel because this is this empire needs to go down. They are so disobedient and idolatrous. Jezreel is going down. The kingdom of Israel is about to be kaput. Assyria's coming. They're sacking Samaria. Jezreel's next. Name the first kid Jezreel. Yes, sir. Second child. Name that child. I want to give you the good Hebrew here. Lo Rahama. Sounds tough. Lo means no. Lo Ruhama. No mercy. Name your second child. No mercy. I've had it with Israel. They're not receiving mercy. Yes, sir. No mercy. Imagine naming one of your children. No mercy. Third child. Name the child. Lo am I. Lo means no, lo am I, not my people. If you know anything about the Jewish culture, this is like the father disowning his son, tearing the lapel. But if you saw the Neil Diamond movie way back in the early 80s, you know what I'm talking about. 
no mercy, no kingdom, not my people. But turn to chapter 2 in Hosea. Right after Daniel, got all those big, long books, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Chapter 2. Hey, didn't even know that book was there. Chapter 2. Look at verses 19 through 22 and see how this plays out. God's mercy. Verse 19. And I will betroth you to me forever. He's obviously being gracious to the people who made him so upset. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The Father of mercy. The persevering, steadfast God of the Old Testament is the Father of mercy. This steadfast, patient, enduring, costly, loyal, merciful love is the love that has a direct bearing in this passage. And specifically, you can look at... We're going to look at one other passage in just a minute. We've talked about this in the last year at Ephesus. We've talked about this type of fatherly mercy. We looked at it in uh, the parable of the, what do we call it, the prodigal God. The lavish love was the word. I went home after the sermon and looked it up in the dictionary. Never heard it termed the prodigal God. But prodigal can mean lavish, eccentric love. Moses talked to us about that. I'm sure everyone remembers the mercy of the Good Samaritan. Think of that diligent, radical, costly love in that parable told by Jesus. This is the radical mercy of the citizens of the kingdom. There is a... When we look at... We have these examples in Hosea of the children. But what God shows us in the New Testament is our neighbor. And I remember being at a classical Christian school conference and the uh, speaker, Pastor Doug Wilson, kind of the father of classical Christian education, he constantly says this over and over again. But I remember him saying, you know, there's, there's two things that will last forever. 
Scriptures say that the grass withers and the flowers fade and the Word of God will last forever. The Word of God lasts forever. And then our neighbor lasts forever. Every person we meet is a neighbor. And every neighbor we meet has an eternal soul. Everybody we come to is an opportunity to meet with this lavishly eccentric, powerful, persevering, steadfast mercy. C.S. Lewis said about our neighbor in the kingdom, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. It's like, what? What's he talking about? Eternal souls, gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you say it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of the destinations, heaven or hell. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with. Immortals whom we work with and marry and snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind and it is in fact the merriest kind of merriment which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love, as flippancy parodies merriment, next to communion itself. The bread and the wine. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ the glory Himself is truly hidden. So we come to the point we have this type of mercy that's expected of us citizens of God's kingdom. Mercy that is to every man and woman who bears the image of God like we do. If you're like me, this grand mirror is showing you a very scary reflection. What do I look like in light of the mercy that God has in mind in this beatitude? 
this type of mercy is the type of mercy that in the rest of the sermon is sought. If mercy loses its mercifulness, what is it? If you hide mercy, what do we have? This is that unique fatherly mercy. And I, the only other time this word is used is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Let, let's look at it real quick. Hebrews chapter 2. I think this kind of brings the whole thing full circle. How can we possibly look in the mirror of this mercy? We yearn for being this type of merciful, steadfast, persevering, Hosea-like character, citizen of the kingdom. Look at it with me. Let's look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels that He, Christ, helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham, which is believers. Therefore, He had to be made like His brother in every respect, so that He might become a merciful... There it is, the exact same word, the only other time it appears in this adjectival form in the Scripture. Might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And here is the catch. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. You're looking in that mirror like I am. And the same question comes to mind. Repentance. The joy of repentance that our Savior identifies with us. He identifies with us. He suffered. And this is this should color our mercy with one another. We, we can be merciful in the Holy Spirit in this attitude of repentance because of the mercy shown to us, because of the type of Savior we have. Just not this far-off Father, but this Father who took on flesh and knows what it's like. This is the type of mercy we show our children. Children, we know when you mess up, we've been there. We were tempted to disobey. We lied. We deceived our parents. We wanted to rebel against our parents. Even the good kids. I was the good kid. And this is the type of mercy that a Christian citizen shows. The mercy where we identify. When I'm disciplining a student in the office, I can remember years ago in another school, I had this Presbyterian pastor on staff, and he brought in this student who was an A student who cheated on a test. That's not why he was an A student. He was an A student all the time and worshipped his grades and so wanted to score on this test, and he hadn't studied, so he cheated. And he got busted, praise God. Mom must have been praying like crazy. 
You moms know what I'm talking about. And so, here comes this um, godly young man, Christian. And this pastor, and he says, Mr. Trainer, uh, Christian cheated on a test. So I started into my whole thing, talking to him about this, and that it's really stealing someone's answers. That, that, that's what it really is, the command of shall not steal. And um, and so Brian, pastor, who's he now has a church plant in Kentucky, he goes, goes, Christian, Mr. Trainer and I, we've stolen we're cheaters. I'm like, hey man, speak for yourself. I'm the headmaster. But no, uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking for a second, but you know, just to make a joke, lighten up the atmosphere. But that is mercy. We are like that. We are like that too. We have messed up, guys, children. You may think we got it all together. We don't. We have co-workers. Maybe they stabbed us in the back. We have had this happen. I've had this happen in a Christian school. And we've wanted to do the same, haven't we? Our Savior knows us, and He's given us mercy. We've had church family members leave. I was once asked to be on a leadership team for a Sunday school class. And this was, I was asked two weeks after I'd already left the church and been attending somewhere else. And I felt really weird about that whole thing. But I've left the church. You know? Would you extend me mercy? God has. We have friends and neighbors out of work, don't we? I've been out of work. Man, there's nothing worse for a man. The mercy is so sweet. And I think what's interesting when you look at this beatitude is that Jesus, of course, has not been crucified or resurrected at this point. And he's teaching the disciples about mercy. And what they don't know yet is that this Savior dies that they may be right with God. And so the mercy that we know on this side of the cross is a mercy that gives hope. You know? That's like, that's not in this mercy in the Scripture. But it is in reality what we experience because we have the hope of Christ's mercy to us. I use that little phrase before, I don't know if you caught it, but it's kind of a love in action, you know? It's a mercy to someone. And love in action is actually an international ministry that I became acquainted with through a family at the school I worked for in Memphis. And I learned about it from this mother who had uh, become a part of this ministry. She had these three beautiful girls all blonde-haired, blue-eyed, sixth grade, fourth grade, first grade, had the old stair-step thing going. And she shared with me her story about how she became acquainted with this. Her husband of nearly 15 years 
had come come to her and sharing his unfaithfulness. Years of unfaithfulness in pornography and years of unfaithfulness in his desires for other men. He told his wife he was divorcing her to live out a homosexual lifestyle. He was leaving her for another man. When she told me this, I I couldn't imagine. I'd not heard of that before. Couldn't imagine a Christian sister going through such a thing. She she didn't see it coming. Could you imagine the rejection? The deep pain? It's one of those moments where you go, but God here met this deep pain in this woman. And she told me her deepest pain had become her greatest passion for mercy. And she joined this ministry of helping those who struggle with pornography and with same-sex attraction. Being around people who offended others the way she was deeply offended. God had radically transformed this woman to, as Scripture says, a vessel of mercy. You may want to point someone to that if you know someone who struggles in that way. You know, and I think that's really the sense of coming to a renewal conference is to hear once again the type of mercy that we've been extended to have the mirror put up and to see do we have steadfast, gracious, persevering, patient love for our our fellow man, believer and unbeliever alike, and for us to once again repent and live afresh and begin extending the mercy we've been shown. You know, truly, when I was working on this several nights ago, Catherine was sharing a struggle with me, and I was not merciful. <laughs> I mean, there I am working on the, holding the mirror up to us all, and I can't see my own self in it. I'm like you. I need the mercy of God tonight. He keeps showing it to us all of us who lack mercy. He wants us to be that heart motivated to be merciful. Remember the psalmist, Psalm 23? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. May it be so. May our cup overflow with mercy. My friend Cannon, his cup overflows. I'm telling you what. God changed him. As he does his day, he was a state champ uh, runner, you know. And he loves to run, continues to run. 
And he would jog through these neighborhoods in bad part of Memphis. Bad part of Memphis. Daily jogging through. And he would notice the same kids day after day at the playground, playing ball, no supervision, just doing their thing, got their books spread out, trying to make sense of things. And so one day he just stopped and played ball with them. And the next day he'd stop, hang out, see what they were learning in school. Asked the child to read to him what he was reading. The child is an older elementary school age child and could not read. Could not read as well as his preschooler. His heart. The mercy of God. He began researching reading. He was a lawyer. He couldn't spell. Ironically. We... Gina and I were like, how are these kids, how can they do so great but never be able to spell? But he began a ministry of reading instruction. And I'm telling you what, the school, inner city school, that adopted his, this approach that he had researched, they got a grant to bring it to their school. The kids came to school in the summer because they heard they were going to learn to read. The teachers got, they came because they were getting paid to be trained, but they were so excited to have the keys to help the kids read. And it was a heart of mercy. Kids were not like him. It was a heart of mercy. His cup overflowed with the type of mercy that we see in this beatitude. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is Thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful to have the mirror of the Beatitudes in Scripture to show us what kind of merciful God the Father you are and God the Son whom you sent to die for sinners like us. And Father, we just rejoice tonight knowing from Hebrews that you are the one who identifies with us that we might receive grace, that we might receive this steadfast love and mercy so that we might be vessels of mercy. Help us, O God, to walk afresh today because we have the hope of the cross. Help us, Lord, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name and for His name's sake in Rinkin and beyond. Amen.